CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching The Hash. I am Zach Seward. That's Jensen Assey and Will Foxley. There is so much going on in the world of crypto, as always, and we're here to get you up to speed. I'm tossing it to Jen for some news about the Voyager Binance deal. What do you got? Okay, so the Department of Justice is saying that that deal should be put on hold while legal objections are ironed out. In a filing on Tuesday, the U.S. trustee expressed concerns that the deal would absolve Voyager and its staff from breaches of tax or security law. Last week, New York bankruptcy judge Michael Wiles approved the deal after showing skepticism towards the government's arguments. Now, Zach, I'm going to throw this one off to you. I know you've said on the show before that exchange tokens maybe should be looked at as a security. And that's one of the issues that's come up in this kind of back and forth between regulators and the bankruptcy court. So my question to you is, do you think that this should be on hold while the regulators figure this out? Or is this just like process gone wildly wrong? I mean, that would take a long time for the regulators to figure it out. So I would not advise that it should wait until then. I mean, the DOJ would say this, right? Like Binance <laughs> is increasingly under the microscope as it relates to U.S. law enforcement and U.S. regulatory bodies. The fact that they're upset that this deal may come to pass, I think is perfectly understandable and is in keeping with past statements from a lot of enforcement and regulatory agencies in the U.S., with Binance specifically being sort of persona non grata as it relates to crypto innovation here on U.S. shores, right? We saw previous action led by the SEC against Paxos, which was partnering with Binance to issue the BUSD stablecoin. Largely, and a lot of the speculation there was that this specific targeted attack against BUSD and none of the other stablecoins within the Paxos portfolio had much more to do with, with Binance being involved than anything else, right? So I think there is a growing skepticism given Binance's history with being a bit lax on the compliance side I think they've come a long way and have certainly made great strides in getting their house in order. But that doesn't mean that U.S. regulators specifically aren't pissed off that Binance had been sort of flouting a lot of these things in the past and jumping from one jurisdiction to the next in a bid to sort of erase the trail. But anyway, I think Binance, to its credit, has indeed come a long way. Whether or not this deal gets done uh, obviously seems to be an open question with the DOJ potentially intervening 
It's going to be interesting to see if this comes to pass. But hey, let's see. Let's see if we can get done and some of these Voyager customers can get their funds restored and all that good stuff. Will, I'm tossing it to you. Yeah, this whole case has just been like taking forever, right? Like we saw the thing with Voyager explode over the summer and then they were purchased by FTX and FTX went under. And now there's been this back and forth with Binance US and then purchasing the Voyager estate. And that's a whole lot of crypto, about a billion dollars worth of crypto. And it's a whole lot of users that Binance US can scoop up. So I think that's the center for Binance US, right? For the government's perspective here, and there's been a lot of pushback from multiple different agencies, they want to make sure that one, the executives at Voyager who made these bad decisions are held accountable. And two, that Binance US, which they have certain reservations about, isn't able to proceed in growing its business if it should not be able to grow its business. The second part here with the Binance US deal is the difficult one, right? Because we don't really know if Binance US is skirting the law. There was some recent stuff with the SEC and Binance US going to court. And the judge said to the SEC, hey, you guys might think that Binance US is an unregistered securities exchange, but you haven't proven that. And we have this whole bankruptcy in Chapter 11 thing going on. These creditors need their money back. We're not going to hold up and wait for more due diligence on if you guys think this is an unregistered security or not. Like We have to keep moving forward. And so it seems like the SEC angle is going to be pushed away. But now we have a new hurdle with this DOJ thing looking into Voyager's books. And that might actually give the SEC more time to look into Binance US. So the more this goes on, there seems to be more problems. It's funny that it's with Voyager, right? Because I always thought that Celsius was going to be the one that had bigger problems because we had all these things from Alex Mashinsky. We had all these things from the Celsius group, but we care about the community. We care about our token holders. I haven't seen that much from them. Everything's been about Voyager, which I thought was more or less above board. But I guess the DOJ and other alphabet soup companies in Washington, D.C. have something else to think about. Jen, I'll throw it back over to you. I really like that this judge is putting his foot down. So he's saying that Voyager should not be penalized for carrying out a court-approved sale. This judge has approved the sale. Over 97% of creditors have voted for this to go through. He said that if the DOJ or any government agency had evidence of any misconduct specifically related to the bankruptcy, they should have presented it in court. And of course, Wiles also overruled an objection from the SEC earlier on in the same proceedings. My take on this is that these government regulators need to take a step back and just make clear rules. I will say this on the show every day until the day that I die. If we have clear rules, they could be really strict rules. I don't even care anymore. Just make clear rules and then we won't have this back and forth. And creditors, investors, retail will no longer be affected. Zach, I'm giving it to you for last thoughts. Yeah, clear rules are hard. And the process of governing is hard, right? You have all these different bodies within the US government. It's not this one monolithic entity. It's not one guy. Clearly, you have this judge here disputing what some regulatory agencies and enforcement agencies are presenting in this case and coming to a consensus around things where they don't necessarily map neatly onto existing categories of what is and isn't a security, right? These are just not easy sort of conversions in a lot of these cases. Like, is VGX really security or is it indeed a utility token because it gives users of this platform some additional benefit? You know, same could be said of BNB with, with Binance, right? So it's like these, these unsettled questions and we keep seeing these unsettled questions and it's really hard to resolve them with any degree of clarity. And I think we're going to keep sounding that alarm for a long time to come. Will, I'm going to toss it to you. You got some story about JPM, is that right? No, Morgan Stanley. Take it. Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley. We're going to the bankers. We're going back to the banking oh, analysts, no. guys. 
Will's oh, favorite no. story. They have oh, a good no. opinion this time, so I, I won't I won't <laughs> shoot on them, okay? Like banking analysts stand down, stand your guard down. It's, it's okay on the patch today. Uh, so according to Morgan Stanley, analysts are looking at Bitcoin. They're saying it's trading more like a risk stock or a, 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 a speculative stock than it is a currency necessarily. Why does this matter? Well, let's look at the last two weeks. Let's look at what's happening with all these banks exploding. Bitcoin sits in this narrative where it is an alternative banking system as well as an alternative currency. And then we look at the trading patterns and can kind of see like which way it's leaning at the current moment. With all these banks going under, SVB, Signature, Silvergate, we are seeing Bitcoin possibly trade more so as a speculative token of sorts rather than a currency, meaning people are putting weight more into the narrative of Bitcoin being your own bank or Bitcoin being digital gold, Bitcoin being your own personal vault in, the Switzerland, uh, in Switzerland versus being a currency of sorts. And I do like this opinion. I think it has traded that way. The most informative trading days we've seen, I think, over the last few weeks has been on Friday of last week when we heard about SVB. And then also on Monday afterwards, when all the contagion through the weekend took course and Monday morning, things seemed a little bit more normal. Bitcoin shot up on Monday. I think this week is about up 20% or so, up to $24,000. It's retraced a little bit. Uh, But on Friday of last week, it actually dropped a little bit back down to $20,000. So we're definitely seeing some trading action around narratives. The question, however, is who is buying and who is selling? The, The common question in Bitcoin. Zach, over to you. Seems like we're having this debate over and over again, the currency versus asset. You know, currency is in the name, cryptocurrency, so people get hung up on it like it's meaningful. I feel like this is, needs to be put to bed. I mean, like Bitcoin is what it is. It can be used as a currency. It's treated often as an asset. It can be both. Hey, why not? We don't have to do this sort of binary dance where it's like, oh, it's not a currency. It's a speculative asset. Like, or, okay, like, great. I mean, a lot of this report highlights hey, this is its moment to shine. This is what it's all about, right? An alternative place to store wealth. And why don't we just like let it be that? Like let, let the orange coin do its thing. Let it be what some people think is a safer place to park money than in other options that may be available to them. I'm just tired of this currency versus asset thing. I don't know, Jen. I had the exact same view and I knew you were going to say that when you had that little smirk. And so, Will, this is my question to you because you took a different, you went in a totally different direction than I thought you were going to go. Bitcoin has been treated like a currency for like th- this felt like a whole lot of nothing. Like Morgan Stanley came out and was like, oh, this recently happened. We got to put a report out about Bitcoin. And as these banks fall, you know, Bitcoin isn't trading on that that ethos on the Bitcoin white paper that came out over a decade ago. But I think that's OK. I think that the conversation really has been that there are alternatives outside of the traditional financial system. And as those alternatives become more mainstream, of course, they're going to be more correlated with the traditional financial system. So, Will, my question to you is, why do you like this? Okay, well, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm always impressed with banking reports. I'm not super impressed (laughs) with this one either. I think there's better places to get alpha than banking reports, namely crypto Twitter is we're going to get a little bit better information than this. That being said, I think they are right. Like Bitcoin is still a speculative asset. It's not necessarily currency yet. Zach, to your point, I think it's fair. Like, is it an asset? Is it a currency? Well, let's look at the dollar. It's the same thing, right? It's both a currency and an asset. I can go buy gumballs with, Bic- with uh, dollars, but I can also go trade dollars on international exchanges as a Forex tool. Bitcoin is in the same way, but it's not quite there with with dollars or other fiat currencies, where I really just think of it as a currency, purely as a currency. There's always going to be like this ability to use it for multiple use cases. 
And as crypto and Bitcoin itself matures more and more, we're going to start losing that speculative asset side. Bitcoin's going to become boring. That road to boring is really just a price story. At some point, it's going to be flat, maybe 20, 40, 50 years from now. Right now, we're not there. We're still in the speculative age. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. Last thought on this, maybe to answer your point, Jen, I think it does bear some questioning who is buying Bitcoin right now because the narrative has been shifting so fast. I think it's Bitcoin holders just buying into all this contagion right now. I don't think a lot of people are rotating out of tech stocks or rotating out of banking stocks into Bitcoin. It seems a little bit too fast. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain and Web3 startups, teams and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. Hey there, welcome back to The Hash on Coindesk TV. We got a lot to talk about, namely Signature Bank, taken over by state regulators in New York over the weekend as a sort of follow-on effect from the Silicon Valley bank shutdown and the USDC crisis that followed. Now, this really comes down to Barney Frank, longtime former congressman, was a member of the Signature Bank board, who made some comments to CNBC, NPR, and others, suggesting that this bank was taken over because it was meant to send an anti-crypto message. This was pretty incendiary comments from a former you know, co-sponsor of the Dodd-Frank bill, a former stalwart, of banking regulations in DC. And this got a lot of people wondering, what is going on with Signature? Was this a targeted takedown on the part of state and federal regulators who didn't like that it was serving crypto customers? Barney Frank here alleged that, you know, the balance sheet was fine. Things were solvent when NYDFS folks stepped in and took over control. Now, the NYDFS is out here pushing back on that, saying that they had lost confidence in banks' leadership and had to intervene and now some additional reporting has also suggested that the DOJ was potentially looking into Signature for potential irregularities with new customers coming onto that bank and using some of their crypto services. This one, I think, is probably the biggest story out of this whole weekend. And we had a lot of big things that were brewing over the weekend, USDC depegging. But this one, if it is potentially as incendiary as what Barney Frank is saying, is quite interesting and a very important signal for how the U.S. crypto industry should proceed here going forward. I'm going to toss this to Will. I don't know if you saw the, uh, the storm that this kicked up when these comments were made, but what's your take on sort of the he said, she said that we're now seeing unfold? Yeah, the, he said, she said is the perfect way of putting it, Zach. I was actually about to use that phrase myself because that's what seems to be happening right now. We have a bunch of banks ex- explode. We have a signature bank, which has a very important place within the crypto industry itself go under. And at the peak of that is Barney Frank, a longtime congressman, and the key piece of this Dodd-Frank legislation back in 2010 when the Great Recession occurred, and they put in new banking regulation to protect against the very thing that then occurred about 10 years later at his very own bank that he was a board member on. So a lot of he said, she said is going to be going on the next few weeks against all these different agencies, the members of Signature, the members of the board of Signature, and the customers of Signature as well are going to be asking what exactly was going on here. On crypto Twitter, we already have like the tinfoil hats out, of course, saying like this was an active takedown of Signature. That could be true based on Barney Frank's comments. But then we have the DOJ and others coming back against it and saying, 
no, these people were not acting correctly. They had many other customers besides crypto customers that we need to take care of in order to do this correctly. We needed to shut down this bank and do it quickly and do it efficiently. And to their point, the FDIC has stepped in. They have backed all deposits. It doesn't seem like anyone is really going to be coming out of that out of this without their shirt on. They're going to be okay. Still, the question remains, why would Barney Frank say this? And why would he put his reputation on the line to say something so inflammatory like this when all these other government agencies obviously took a step that was a little bit different than that? So we'll see what happens with this one. It's going to be something that we're going to be tracking for quite a while. Because it does answer this key question. Does the US government, specifically the Biden administration and the administrations around it, like the DOJ, actively have been against crypto or not? I think we're really in the thick of the fire here with Barney Frank's comments. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, Barney Frank, like as a board member of Signature Bank and as someone who has operated within government for so many years, I think has a better understanding of the inner working of both entities. So I think that's why his words were so strong and, and triggered all of this discussion that we've seen lately in the news. And I think that they should be taken seriously, right? This statement might not have held so much weight if we didn't have so many regulators come out within the last month and warn against banks that were servicing crypto clients, right? We heard from at least two regulators in the last month saying, banks, if you have crypto clients, if you're dealing with crypto, consider this your warning. Be careful. We think it's very risky. And I think that all of these little signals kind of put some weight behind what Barney was saying. And I think maybe if the main reason to close this bank down, according to the regulators, had nothing to do with crypto, it would be silly for us to sit here and think that crypto didn't influence the decision. Maybe it wasn't the number one reason, but I think it would be very, very silly of us, given all the information we have, to say that it didn't definitely influence it. Zach? I mean, it's hard to say at this point. Like Barney Frank here has a horse in this race, right? He wants to make his banking institution look as good as it can possibly look and say, hey, the books were good. This was, a, this was meant to send a message, right? Hey, that Operation Choke Point 2.0 thing that you guys have been conspiracizing over for the last three months, this is real. This is an escalation of that. So there is obviously some self-interestedness in making a statement such as this, especially if we're seeing some of these other claims come out on the part of NYDFS. So it really is going to be hard to suss out what's going on, but it certainly is a huge wake-up call and sort of lends credence again to this Operation Choke Point 2.0 idea that stems from that January pronouncement from the FDIC, the OCC, and the Fed saying that, yo, banks, don't mess with crypto. That stuff's risky. That was an initial sort of pronouncement that sort of was the embers of this. And now with Signature, we see that potentially turn into quite the fire if crypto is going to be allowed to use banking services in the US from here out. And I think this is going to be really, really interesting to see uh, how difficult it is for crypto firms and those who you know, are working within the U.S. financial system who operate in dollars, but who touch crypto in some way, shape or form. It's going to be really interesting to see if those folks can go to any, any of these banks and ultimately get the services that they need to operate as a business here in the U.S. And I think that's what a lot of people are really, really worried about. And maybe, maybe rightfully so in the wake of this Signature Bank takeover. Really, really interesting, honestly, to me that Signature Bank was taken over while First Republic Bank, for instance, was given something like $70 billion in backstop from JP Morgan and the Federal Reserve. Just a fascinating sort of um, tale of two cities that we're seeing unfold here with those particular examples. And yeah, this is a story to watch for sure. Will, last thoughts on this one before we change gears? Yeah, I don't have anything original to take here. I, I think you guys are spot on. This is something to watch. Barney Frank's position as both the 
co-author of this very important banking regulation from 2010, and also his placement on the board puts him in an unusual footing. Uh, Is he protecting his reputation on the banking front? Is he protecting his reputation on the banking firm from the regulation side that he crafted a decade ago? It's really hard to parse. It's really hard to look into this. And I think we're going to see both a lot of character smearing, and I think we're going to see a lot of pointed fingers and a lot of back and forth on this specific topic over the next few weeks. But let's leave that trash can fire and move to yet another one. Let's go back to FDX and talk about some movements of USDC. Over the weekend, USDC lost its peg, dropping as low as 87 cents. Uh, It's supposed to be pegged to the US dollar, which is $1 and not 87 cents. That drop in 13 cents spooked a lot of people, but it was also a nice trading opportunity, which did FTX and the Chapter 11 case around it take that opportunity to make some money? Or were they just trying to offload the risk to USDC? According to on-chain sleuthing, they moved about $300 million for the stable coins to a few different crypto exchanges over the weekend, possibly to earn yield on top of USDC, possibly to sell it off, to uh, stem any risk from uh, the drop in the stable coin, maybe possibly going to zero, or possibly just to arbit. Kind of hard to know. Basically, we have to ask these exchanges what they were doing with this USDC. But it's definitely a curious thing to do when you're in the midst of a chapter 11 process. Zach, I want to throw this one over to you, get your take on it. I love the way this story is constructed because it, it ultimately sort of closes and suggests that JJ Ray III, our beloved John J. Ray III, <laughs> is the true DGEN who may be considering <laughs> all alternatives and is therefore arming USDC in the midst of a crisis to what a make chad. depositors whole. True Giga Chad move if. Uh, if if uh, if the uh, the uh, if the suggestion is at all correct, it may not be at all correct, but that is the suggestion as constructed here by Oliver Knight. Good piece. Anyway, who knows? It's going to be interesting to see if they uh, really do exploit this as an opportunity to raise funds. But yeah, I don't know. Pretty pretty wild. Jen, I'll toss it to you. Zach, you always take the thoughts right out of my head and articulate them so. Well, I love that part of the article when it said, John J. Ray said nothing was off the table when it comes to making investors whole again. And I was just like, how do I think about this story? Is he out there, you know, making the trades, making people whole again? He's just like the, the hero we didn't know we needed in these very, very horrible times. That's my only take on this story. Will, I'm going to kick it back to you. Okay. Yeah. I doubt he was doing that. So uh, that's my <laughs> first maybe, take on this. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, the quote is from January, which is funny. Note. Yeah, the quote is from yeah, January, quote. and like Oliver's like, I'm putting it in there. We're gonna make <laughs> this get it spicy. In there. I'm like, yeah, it was a well placed right. quote. Do for it. sure, yeah. it was a well placed quote. I believe what they were doing here was probably deep risking the fact that the the depegging event could occur further, and so they took the proactive move to move all the USDC off their books to these exchanges. So on Monday morning, they could just sell it off as fast as they could when withdrawals opened on Coinbase and other exchanges. That's what I think was happening here. If they were able to arm this for like 10 cents or whatever and make a few million dollars, that would be great. I don't think with his paycheck that he's pulling from this, he's really worried about a few million dollars though. That doesn't seem to be like the worry of the chapter 11 bankruptcy case going on here. Zach, I'll give it to you though for final thoughts. I mean, this is what everyone in crypto was doing like in some form, right? Like the whole thing on Friday was like, all right, oh my God, like USDC is dying. Like, what do I do? What, what is my flight to safety? Do I exit to Bitcoin, Ether? Do I exit to the bank somehow at whatever discount is available to me at that point in time? So I feel like there's many of these little tiny individual stories even of people making some rapid decisions in the heat of battle 
when seemingly U.S. crypto as an entire entity is crumbling before our eyes as it relates to the banking system in the U.S. So I think like there was probably a bunch of these stories that if you like dug into the data and, you know, credit to the firm here who flagged this, there's a ton of stories like this about people making some snap decisions to protect themselves in a time when it's very unclear what's going to happen. If that 87 cents turns into 50 cents, turns into 25 cents, and we have sort of a death spiral situation, that would be totally irrational. But we've seen crazier things happen in the past and people are acting to protect themselves. So anyway, wild times, but a good one to have flagged. I don't know. Last thoughts, Will? No, I, I, I totally agree with you there. Totally agree with you. And Jen, you moved to Bitcoin and Ether, so you're doing pretty great right now. Might be even better trader than Wendy. I know. I know. I'm like, I wish I never said anything, right? Because now just keep bringing it up. But yeah, I'm doing, yeah. I'm doing good. I'll be bringing <laughs> it up. Don't you worry. Next time we Jen see each other, tr- drinks Jen on Jen is you. the true Chad. Yes. No, JJ <laughs> yeah. Ray's got nothing on Jen's right moves here. That's it. That's it right there. <laughs> All right. That's it for the show today. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate you watching us, listening to us. However you consume The Hash, we're cool with it. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.